Great to see you all. Just reflecting on the song that was sung, I Shall Not Want. How do you think that wants fulfilled? When you're lonely, feeling isolated, how do you put that right? When you don't want to be humble, you don't want to be humbled, how do you get that sorted out? You're looking at me like, please tell me the answer, right? (laughs) Powerful words. And the answer is Jesus. He resolves that problem himself, all in himself. There are wonderful ways in which he can bring other people around us, change our disposition, But I tell you this, without Jesus, you can be popular, good-looking, even athletically successful, maybe making a dollar or two, maybe even a great entertainer with a guitar and a voice. Without Jesus, you are empty. None of those things fill that space that only Jesus can fill. That's the deal. So it's not like he, at a distance, puts things right. He comes in. And that sets things that are amiss steadily in order. And I know of what I speak. Well, bow your heads with me and let's talk to this Lord Jesus. He walks around amongst us, and he knows exactly what we're dealing with. He knows what we're up against. He may know of the wreckage that trails our lives. And we look back and we see the wreckage, and it hurts. So, Lord Jesus, as you come and teach us again from your word, from your very own teaching itself, in the wonder of your mercy and in your love for each of us, please take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our wills and bend them to your own. And take our hearts, Lord Jesus, please. And set them on fire with love for yourself. Come fill us with yourself as never never before. We pray in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, on the front of your service sheet, you've got this heading here. Series of addresses by which we are dealing with a story Jesus told, describing reality from his vantage point. But it is a story, what we call a parable. So a teaching tale that he invented in order to get some truth across. And we normally call that story, I want you to fill in the the word that I leave hanging there, right? The story of the prodigal, Son. And when you hear that, 
When you think prodigal, what do you think? You think a wayward loser who screws up badly. So how come we've got a prodigal God? We've got a God who's a screw-up. The author of a book that I, we are all preaching and teaching from for these several weeks is called, here in my hand, The Prodigal God. The author is a chap by the name of Tim Keller. He's legendary. He's in New York City. He went there with his wife, Kathy, to start a church in Manhattan. Who takes on Manhattan? That's big streets, big buildings, skyscrapers, big wealth, people with big egos. You should see them strut their stuff around New York. I mean, they've got the walk. I mean, they've got, they've got style. You can actually feed off of the energy on the streets of Manhattan. It's amazing. So some little Presbyterian pastor and his wife go to Manhattan to start a church. That's Tim Keller. Today, several thousand people at that mega center of a mega city are worshiping Jesus every weekend and having an immense influence throughout that city and up into Connecticut where a lot of the people who work in the city live. So right now they drive in before the sun comes up and they don't get home until the sun's gone down. That's their life because they've gone to the Big Apple. But they're running into Jesus in the Big Apple via the work that Tim Keller has established. So he's become a legend around the country. So people in England are getting his sermons and his teaching online. This book by Tim Keller is brilliant. Just for me to read the introduction of it was an inspiration to me, moved me emotionally. Just the introduction. He said this teaching of the prodigal son, as we call him, this second son, radically changed his life as he heard teaching on it from another preacher and got into it himself. So go get one of these. They may already have sold out because I promoted it at the last service and we are promoting it. But go put your name in and they'll order you a book and you get it next week or get it this week some way or other. The Prodigal God by Tim Keller. Secret. About to be revealed. The word prodigal does not mean wayward. What's a word that sounds like it in English to you? Prodigious. He actually tells us, Tim Keller and J.B. Phillips in his translation, similarly, which is a modern translation from the 1950s. What it is, is recklessly extravagant. Something absolutely different than you could imagine it meant recklessly extravagant. So he's not talking about a a son. Initially, that's Tim Keller, about a son who took his dad's wealth and spent it in reckless extravagance. That's what he did. That's why we call him the prodigal. That's how he got his name. But what Keller is saying is behind this story, 
And at the heart of this story is a God who is recklessly extravagant. So take a look with me. If you look at page 2 in your service sheet or in your New Testament, or it's come up on the screen right behind me, here Jesus continues, there was a man who had two sons. Now it turns out that the man is the image of God, and those two sons are very similar to us. And I know I listened to Pastor Jamie's sermon from last week, and he dealt with the context of Jesus' teaching because of the people who were around Jesus, which evoked from him the teaching that he's giving here. So we don't have to look at that, except for those of you who missed it, but you can get a copy of Pastor Jamie's teaching too. But God is the father image who's described here, and the sons are people kind of like us. And what happens is this. Verse 12 then, the younger one of these two sons said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he, the father, divided his property between them. Now, what you've got here is an unthinkable request. It's probably pretty unthinkable in our day and age, but in its context, back when Jesus was teaching in the Middle East, the idea that some son should come up to his dad and say, look, I can't be, let me put other words on what he's asking. I don't want to wait till you die to get my inheritance. So as far as I'm concerned now, you can drop dead. He doesn't say that. How do you think the father feels when this son says, look, I don't want to be hanging around and waiting. Give me my share of the estate. And interestingly, the word for estate or property in other translations is a, is a word that means life. Bio, bios, from which we get biology, the study of life, is the word there. Why do you think that word's used? Because their land was their life. Most of us maybe own a little piece of land with a house on it. But if you're in an agrarian society, that piece of land is like who you are. It defines who you are. Tim Keller quotes the movie, musical, by Rogers and Hammerstein, Oklahoma. And he gives us these words. From one of the songs, oh, we know we belong to the land and we belong to what is grand. Let me read it again. Oh, we know we belong to the land and the land we belong to is grand. It's not we own the land, the land owns us. It's not we, the, the land belongs to us, we belong to the land. The very idea that this kid, put him whatever age you like, 18, 19, 20, 21, comes to his dad and says, give me my share of the land, our livelihood, our life, who we are. Give me my share. Which makes sense of how the story unfolds. Look at it with me. So not long afterwards, this is verse 13, The younger son, not long afterwards, he couldn't wait to get his hand on the property and turn it into cash. 
So not long afterwards, it says, the younger son, number two son, got together all he had and set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. In other words, in reckless extravagance. That's what he did. That's how he got the title being a prodigal. Reckless extravagance. Verse 14, and after he had spent everything, all gone. Now what's amazing about his unthinkable request was from anybody's vantage point, the father's extravagant response. What did the father say? Under normal ex- under any normal ex- ex- explanation of this, the father should have boxed the kid's ears and said, you get going and you'll get your inheritance whenever it's time. The father, in reckless extravagance, gives the kid his one-third of the whole estate. The other son got his two-thirds. Because the first son got two-thirds, and the second son got one-third. That was the deal at that time. A lot of people in England, as they discovered that wealth kept getting dispersed, when you gave some to this one, some to that one, some to another one, changed the rules and they gave it all to the firstborn so that you could keep the wealth consolidated. Because once it's dispersed, there's no power to it. Two-thirds, one-third is a pretty tight division because they were just the two sons. So both were very wealthy, but the son, number two son, sold it off and then went and spent it all, gone, all over. You might be critical, and we're often critical, when we see parents spoil their kids with reckless extravagance. Because you can ruin a child's life with reckless extravagance. But let me ask you this. Do you think you are the recipient of God's reckless extravagance? You bet you are. Same way I am. Everything you have. He gave you, says the scriptures. What have you that you did not have? Even your talent, your brain, your skill. You may have put it to work. But some of us can try and throw a baseball the rest of our lives and never get it above 40 mile an hour. And think we're doing pretty well at 40 mile an hour. And when you watch the big boys throw it consistently at 90 miles an hour, and where they want it to go. It's a different world. Where do you think the original talent comes from? Where do you think you got your brains, your athleticism, your physique, your intuition, your dreams? Where do you think that all comes from? Let me ask you, have you recklessly wasted what God has given you? To a greater or lesser extent, all of us are going to say yes. The prodigal father, the generous, extravagant, recklessly so father, has given us everything we have, and what are we doing with it? What kind of hellhole are we turning this world into?
Because everything that is true of us here this morning is true of everybody, every other living soul in this world. And what do we do with it? So God has been recklessly extravagant with us. And this kid turns it into cash and himself goes and spends it all and is thereby recklessly extravagant. And where does that land him? And this is, again, almost unthinkable. Everything in this story is outrageous to its original listeners. We are so used to it. And it may even fit the categories by which we've lived our lives or watch other people live theirs. But not so in that day that this guy would go off and end up, listen to it, this little Jewish guy spent all his money and ends up feeding pigs? Are you aware that Jewish people do not eat bacon? They do not have ham stew with beans. They don't have eggs and bacon for breakfast if they're serious Jews. Because pork is not on their menu. And similarly with the Arabs. You want to send an Arab to hell? Before you shoot him to death, slobber some pig fat over him. And the Arabs think he's on his way to hell. Same culture, same Middle Eastern culture. They are not into pigs either. And this Jewish chap, coming from a wealthy, well-to-do, landed gentry, ends up feeding pigs. And not only so, but because nobody else now, he's lost his, he's not only lost all his money, with the money went his friends, now he's on his own, now he's looking after pigs, and he's feeding, he is groveling on the ground and eating what the pigs are eating. Listen. Something I learned a long time ago. Sin always takes you further than you want to go. Sin always keeps you there longer than you want to stay. And sin always makes you pay a price that you have no way to pay. It's absolutely destructive. Just a little over a week ago, very famous man was here. Maybe it was about two weeks ago now. A very famous man was here in this part of Pennsylvania by the name of Dr. J for James, I for Ian, Packer. Packer like P-A-C-K, like a Green Bay Packer. He's a very famous theologian. He actually taught at my theological college in England when I was a young man. And I was invited to have lunch with him, along with other dignitaries, while he was here in town. But I ended up missing that luncheon and having lunch with a chap who himself had become suicidal. And the reason being was that his one daughter had overdosed on drugs. And he had found her, and being a EMS guy, emergency medical service guy, he did everything he knew to save her. She's lying on the floor with all the accoutrement of her drug addiction. And so he gives her resuscitation exercises, breathing into her mouth, hitting her chest. She is dead. And he ends up, this is what he's telling me over lunch, screaming, God, don't let her die. Save her. God, don't let her die. She was dead. That man is having lunch with me, pouring out his heart, describing to me what I'm describing to you. 
So I missed my J.I. Packer luncheon. So what? What I'm sitting with is a wreck of a man whose life has been wrecked by a daughter who got into drugs, overdosed, and he found her dead and she was gone. And the father in this story, as Jesus tells it, lost his son. Everybody regarded that son as good as dead. He was like a son gone, dead, all done with. But here's what's amazing. Though the father was recklessly extravagant in giving that wealth to that son by which he got himself in the mess, son's decision, that father, having given up on the wealth, never gave up on the son. Because when that son comes to an end of himself, he says, I'm going to go home to my dad and say to him, I have sinned against heaven and against you. And I'm no more worthy to be called your son. Already everybody else considered him as good as dead. Make me as one of your hired hands. But before he gets home, the father, this is the way it unfolds, the father sees the son. You don't have this in your text because it ends just ahead of this happening. So let me read it to you. Verse 20, it goes on to say, So he got up, this son, from the pigs, from the pigs' fodder, and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him, and he ran to his son against, that is, against all the dignified expectations of any of the peers of that man that he would run, even run, but to be running to this lost son, unthinkable. And he kissed him. He threw his arms around him. That son was reinstated with the, the vestments of sonship, the ring of sonship, and a huge party thrown. And Pastor Jamie talked about that last week. And the joy of heaven, joy over one sinner who repents, more so than the 99 who didn't need any repentance. Heaven, the place of joy, now celebrating even more joyfully over one. I'll tell you this, you could be that one this morning. But the father never gave up on the son. What you have here is a picture of him day after day after day looking out for the son. And when he sees him, as messed up as he is, you see this painting up here behind me. That's painted by a couple of people in our congregation. Last time I saw that picture, other than this morning, it was out on the ground down here where it had just been painted. Because Mark Gardner and a friend of his, two people in our congregation, painted that. Well, I tell you, the prodigal son, which one do you think the prodigal is? The guy on his knees begging his father, I'll be one of your hired hands. That boy looks... Like he's a mess, does he not? I'm looking out at you all, and you look pretty good in comparison, no matter how screwed up and scruffy you are. He makes you look like clean cut and ready for the Marines. Let me ask you this question, just to get to the heart of where we are right now. Who's telling the story that we've been reflecting on? When in doubt, say, Jesus. Thank you. <laughs> 
Jesus. He's telling the story. Do you know God's reckless extravagance implicit in all this because of who's telling the story? This isn't me telling the story. I'm just putting contemporary flesh and blood on a story that Jesus told. The one telling the story is going to lay down his life on the cross to pay for all the filth and radical rebellion of our lives so that we can be forgiven, reinstated, welcomed home. And when the Father looks out and sees you coming, the price has already been paid. He doesn't have to wag the finger at you. He doesn't say after you've done X number of press-ups or you go plow that field for another 20 years. It's all done. The Son, Jesus, paid the price. His Son. What do we call that? Reckless extravagance. God never stops being recklessly extravagant. He so loved the world that he gave his son. just want to close with this true story of a dad who on a Saturday morning, which for the dad was a work day, took his son to his workplace to show him how things went. And we often do that in contemporary society. Kids get a day off from school to go to school with mum and dad and see how they work. And he took this lad and showed him where he worked. Well, what the father did was this. He operated a lift bridge on the Mississippi River. And the machinery lifted the bridge when uh, river traffic came through and lowered the bridge when rail traffic came over it. And this man's job was to raise and lower that bridge. So he takes his son and he takes him down in amongst the machinery on what they call a catwalk, a steel walk with railings on the sides, shows him how all the machinery works. And while he's doing that, the phone rings in this machine room. And he goes to the phone, the dad does, and he's told that a train is running ahead of schedule and to go and lower the bridge. So he says to his son, you stand right here. You stay right here. Don't you move. I will be back. Scampers up the ladder, then up into the conning tower where you could see everything, sees the train in the distance, and as he goes to pull the lever to lower the bridge, in his line of vision, he sees that his son has climbed into the machinery, gotten over the railing and into the big wheels that turned. That dad's got one of two options. Leave the bridge up for the train to run into or lower the bridge and kill his son. And he lowers the bridge, crushes his son. And he's standing there with tears flooding down his face, looking out through this big window, this screened tower, when the train comes flying through and over the bridge. And what does he see but people sitting in the restaurant car, sipping their coffee, reading their morning newspaper. And he starts to pound on that window. Don't you know I just killed my son for you? They hadn't a clue. Don't you know I just killed my son for you? And he's pounding on the window. Well, as we sit somewhat aimlessly from time to time, day to day, sipping our coffee, reading our newspaper, watching the TV, whatever, don't you know 
that our extravagant God sent his son to die for you? And that son who knows the heart of the father is telling the story and knows what it is going to cost him even as he tells that story. Now we're going to be celebrating here right now this Holy Communion service. That is the Last Supper with the bread and the wine representing the death of our Lord Jesus. The body broken, the blood poured out. If you've never ever surrendered your life to Jesus, you do so this morning. In the face of God's reckless extravagance, and maybe your reckless abuse of all his goodness to you, if you've never settled that issue, even in the coming, as if you're coming to Jesus, you kneel down and give him your all. And that's for every one of you here as you come. You kneel down as if at the cross of Jesus and hold nothing back. Give it all to him in the coming and the kneeling, holding out your hands in the receiving. In that action, you be surrendering everything to him. Bow your heads with me just for a moment. Lord Jesus, we are amazed at you. Heavenly Father, we are astounded that you would so love us that you would give your son. What a price to pay for us. So one by one, as you are right where you are, Say to Jesus, thank you for showing me the Father's love. Thank you for loving me that much yourself. I just turn my life as it is over to you. Give me the grace, Lord, in the coming and the kneeling and reaching out with my hands to give my all to you. Thank you, Lord Jesus.